We are back. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. This is the Evangelicals. Jeremy, it's really nice to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while, but life kind of got crazy. Un- yeah, it's an understatement. We were, you know, being teachers and parents and pastors, and it was it was a full-time, it was crazy, doing microbiology and chemistry, and <laughs> which is way above my pay grade, let me tell you, but a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of uh, teacher emails. And uh, but we made it through. Our kids are done, and and so we are we are enjoying summer break. Has it been close to three months since we've gotten together? And it's definitely before, like since obviously all this hit. Yeah, all all of the In early March, the coronavirus, and yeah, it's and like I said, it was just difficult to get over here. And the governor was asking us to stay home, so it felt weird to. Okay, I'll go to Lima, Ohio. Let's go hang out in close proximity. <laughs> exactly. Two feet away from each other's faces, breathing on each other. So it just didn't feel like yeah. it was the right time. Yeah. Just trying to be respectful. And we talked about trying to do online or me calling in and just couldn't figure it out. And now so. We, now we, f- we felt that it might have been necessary if we actually made money on this podcast, which we started to talk. We started talking about, you know, how we could get all of you listeners to give us money every week, <laughs> you know. Then it would but, be worth it. Then it would totally be worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then we would have maybe compromised, you know, some values. Right. You gotta to have come, your priorities. You know, come make some bucks, but unfortunately, this is not that much of a lucrative venture. So yeah, it's been it's been a while, but it's um, it's been interesting. I think for for most people, obviously, just trying to to navigate. And we were just talking a little bit about even how do you help your family and your especially your children through this time. And yeah, and you know my. My children, my oldest has become more of an introvert. He used to be the social one, but my youngest is like this social butterfly. And, How old are your kids again? Uh, my oldest is 16 yeah, and yeah. my youngest is 13. That's right. And, and so it's just been interesting to, to navigate him wanting to, to be hanging out with his friends and wanting to do all of these things and just trying to say, I know, but we just can't right now. And... And so it's it's just been an interesting, like I said, parenting um, through school, parenting through all of it has just been a fascinating journey. And and honestly, it's been awesome for for our family being together. Like it's funny. I think that's been one of the reactions. As I think some people are like, this is how we should spend all of our time without having a pandemic to make us be with each other and yeah. spend time together. Yeah. But like me and my oldest. Um, one thing we did is we we watched all of the Oscar movies from this past year. We just made a list and we mm. just started picking them off and watching them. And that's been awesome, just talking through all of them and what are they trying to tell us. And he's really into movies and how they make them and all of the secret things in movies. And it's just been a, a whole lot of fun wow. to journey through that. And so, yeah, things that, that I probably would have never done had I not been forced to, to stop. In we had talked about how we're in different phases of parenting as I have a six-year-old, four-year-old, and almost two-year-old. And for me, the being home more has really made me reassess parenting. Yeah. You know, um, I'm convinced that my children, that their goal in life is to keep me from my own gratification. <laughs> like they are the obstacles of my 
um, my own my own personal gratification. And so, but the, but the thing is, like, also just theologically speaking, like that actually might be right because yeah. because if I if I really take parenting seriously and take seriously the call to train them in righteousness, it really calls me to being more righteous and more selfless and more disciplined and all of these types of things that I may not be to the extent that I would like people to believe, right? And so parenting in close proximity, you know, it really makes you look in the, if you're honest, if you're honest, it makes you look in the mirror, you know, if you're not honest, you know. Well, I think all of it, like how much have we said, but maybe become more aware of in my own personal life, I won't throw anybody else under the bus, but like we talk about mom, being a mom is a full-time job, but, and then we talk about how much, how many people have got on Facebook and said, we need to pay teachers more. Yeah. And just the, the awareness of what a teacher maybe actually does has been kind of eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people. And so I think as, as I've journeyed through this time, it just does make you maybe even more grateful and thankful for what they do for, for my kids. Well, and there's, there's two elements to that in this, uh, I think, in the recognition. I think some people are recognizing in their frustration of doing uh, our modern educational system i think i think that parents are recognizing you know these educators are pretty smart and they're teaching our kids sophisticated things that either i've forgotten or i never learned so there's the educational aspect to it there's also the parenting aspect to it i think that some parents especially of younger children are recognizing that they can get through the education in about an hour and a half so the question becomes so what are you doing with my kid for the other six hours a day and the, the fact of the matter is they're enculturating and disciplining your child and so a lot of what I'm hearing from some parents is, you know, my kids are all, they're just so out of control. And they're, and the reason is that, that I'm hearing is it's because they have no routine. That's why they're so out of control. And I try to kind of put it delicately, but it, the fact of the matter is it might be because they might be out of control because they don't have as much respect for you as they do for their teachers who mm -hmm. give them discipline, who give them structure, right? And like, I'm... I'm, I mean, again, like I'm looking in the mirror because as I'm looking at my own out of control, you know, crazy children who are, um, I hope for them to have purpose and meaning when they wake up in the morning and every day. But sometimes when they seem kind of lost, I have to ask the question, like, am I giving them structure? Am I giving them discipline? Am I giving them meaningful work to do every day? You know, and this becomes tough in a, in a pandemic, you know, where you can't go out and do activities to distract from the fact that maybe we aren't working on meaningful things, you know, as a family. And so, I mean, this is, for us, has been a call back to, like, more simple things, like writing cards to other people. Yeah. We talk in our family about how one of the points of life is to make life better for others. And so, in a pandemic, how do you make, how do you make life better for others, you know? And um, so we've been working to troubleshoot with our kids while all of us are kind of looking in the mirror and thinking to ourselves like, man, our lives are kind of pathetic right now. <laughs> you know, I think it's allowed, hopefully I think something that's been kind of glaring for us is the lack of creativity. When we look at our own lives 
and it's had it's caused us to have some creative moments of what do you do. Uh, one thing, this is just kind of silly, but I, I and this is terrible, and so I'm just going to throw myself once again under so the bus. So it's, it's silly and terrible, everyone. Just get ready for this. I've talked to my brothers and my parents more during this time on a more consistent basis and more through video chat, but something that, so we've been doing games amongst all of our, my grand, you know, my parents and my brothers. And so we had, we had a battleship tournament. No, you didn't. The old school battleship with brackets. And so then you would call the person that you were facing on FaceTime and you would play each other and it all boiled down, and then we all got on and watched the final two people battle it out on Battleship, and that was awesome. But that we would is have never, epic. we would have never done that before. But just the creativity to say, what can we do together, even though we're not in the same place? What is something that we can do that engages our kids? It engages my parents. It engages everybody in this full-on Battleship tournament over Facetime. It was unbelievable. It was so what fun. A brilliant. And that was my brother, Mark. You know Mark. You know my yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that came oh, up with it. So and so the first was the drawing. We all got on uh, FaceTime or something together, and they drew the tournament. We drew the bracket, and we lined it up. And then we, like I said, you we say, all right, you got till this time to get with this person to play this game or whatever. <sighs> and it took us like a week with the championship being on Saturday. And uh, so we just kind of created our own little March Madness through the game of Battleship. Well, it is kind of silly and terrible that – we all live in such a rut of our status quo yeah. that we oftentimes, unfortunately, don't, don't have the space, the mental space to have the imagination to dream up what might be possible. And it was so fun. Oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. <laughs> it was cool. So the creativity to say, we can't be together, but what can we actually still do together to to create some community, to create some camaraderie, but to give our kids, hey, this is, we're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to do this. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Something fun. So, yeah. So that's kind of what's been going on. So there obviously are so many things going on in the world today. And we're not trying to not name the elephants in the room, but there are, the problem is when you're, when you're in a room crowded with elephants, you know, you kind of like, Try to ask yourself the question, so like, what, yeah, like, like, what, what elephant do we uh, address first here? You know, so there have been uh, this. If we would have done this podcast, I think last week, all we would have talked about was the coronavirus, probably, right? And yeah, you know, maybe what's actually going on and theological implications and the church and all this kind of stuff. Well, then the um, the the murder of George Floyd happens, and I mean, that's all that you know, is in kind of the popular imagination right now. So what can we, do? we're going to do like two halves. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the coronavirus, feelings about the coronavirus, thoughts about it. And like the church, our th- thoughts as pastors and kind of what's that, what that's bringing out. And then we're going to talk about George Floyd. We're going to talk about um, racism, riots, the social situation there. And also kind of ref- our pastoral reflections on that. So, Okay, so coronavirus, coronavirus first. Jeremy, I've been dying to get together because the fact of the matter is I don't trust any any other media outlet. You are one of the truth sayers in my life. So I want you to tell me, like, tell me everything about the coronavirus. Is is Dr. Fauci, is he the Antichrist? Or is it is it is it Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany? 
Uh, Dr. Where, Burke. Where did, yeah, 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 yeah. Dr. Governor DeWine. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Amy, Sister Amy Acton. Uh, for those of you who aren't from Ohio, this, this is very much the, uh, we, um, we every day, during the week, we have a uh, an Ohio press conference where the where the governor talks. But even for about, you're not in Ohio, Dewine is like he, national oh, news. Yeah, like and, he is like. And many people are thinking that this is a kind of a his bid for president, right? <laughs> you know yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think if you take Dr. Fauci and you take all the numerical values of his letters and you divide it by three. You get 666. So, yes, he... No! I'm just kidding. I made that, <laughs> made that up. But, uh, no, I that's I think that's one of the questions that keeps coming up, though. Is this the end? I, I, I Especially in Paulding, and I've heard several people ask that question. Is this, is this the end times? Is this what... Um, and so it's, it's interesting as a pastor journeying through this, how do you speak into your church and into the life of your people? How do you speak into their lives when you can't be in the same room at the same time on a Sunday morning. And and so it's just been an interesting journey that, that a lot of questions, you know, we were talking a little bit before that I have a lot of questions that I don't know that I have all the answers to. But um, one guy said that being a Christian isn't about having all the answers. Sometimes it's about asking the right questions. And so I'm trying to make sure that I'm asking good questions that help us at our church get to better answers about how do we live and breathe and be the church. And um, so I think for me, a lot of questions I'm asking is if, if Sunday morning we're taken away and we're out of the equation for the church, how do we be the church um, beyond that? I, I think Sunday mornings and gathering or, and, you know, some churches do it on Saturday night and Monday night or whenever, I think those are hugely important for the spiritual formation in the life of the believer but not everybody around the world has that that privilege. And I think it's something that sometimes we take for granted. And and what does it actually mean for us to be formational in those times and, and really helping our people grow and be more like Christ? But if it were taken away, could we still function as the church and helping form people and being involved in people's lives? And Or are we so dependent on one hour in a week that we miss the other six days of the week or the other however many hours in the week to be speaking into and to be helping each other and to be journeying with each other. Um, so there's just some of the questions that I'm asking. What does it really mean to be the church um, holistically and not just, once again, is it is it for us, is it about getting people in a room once a week and how many people can we get in that room once a week? Or is it about making a difference in the community and 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 spreading the good news with our lives and how we're helping other people. And so how do we how do we holistically as a church start to have a better, more robust understanding of what church is? Um, and I think we've had to ask some of those questions and, and we've done a few things to help us, I think, learn what that might look like. Um, but I think it's something that I'm still processing and still trying to think as a pastor, how do I help our people understand, no, this is what church is. And and part of that is is we get together and we sing together, but that's just that's a piece of it, and what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ holistically. So I always get nervous when people start talking like you're talking, um, because my title is worship pastor, and so I feel like there's an element of job insecurity with raising all of the questions that you're raising. So I really wish, Jeremy. You wouldn't say this stuff, and you wouldn't talk about this stuff. You just said you trusted my... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I'm questioning that. Man, 
I hope that no board members of the church are listening to this. Um, it is it is the truth, definitely, that in uh, North American church culture, we have made worship to be such a production, such an attraction, such an announcement. One of my dear friends uh, has um, uh, a severe uh, physical handicaps um, that she's she's brilliant intellectually um but because of her physical condition i think that people perceive her as someone who's not as perceptive as they are or something you know and so she gets uh i i, I give her a hard time i tell her that her life's a sitcom because she just finds herself in these hilarious situations where like you know people see think she's stupid or like you know whatever whatever it is and she's just dying on the inside because physically she can't demonstrate to them the brilliance, you know, of, of what um, is really going on inside of her particularly. So anyway, we were talking about this and she said, she said, you know, I'm, I'm devastated about the state of the church in North America. Huh. She said, I'm, I'm convinced that the church is not the church, but the church has become an information station. It's not about community. It's not about care. It's about production and information. And she, um, she was lamenting the kind, of, the kind of lack of care um, for her, for her own family in a particular time. And I, and I kicked her a little bit in the sense that I was like, you know, you're the church too. This is the priesthood of all believers. You know, how amazing would it be if you called your pastor, right, and said, "Hey, I don't know who it is, what it, what his name is. Hey, George, or hey, Pastor George, uh, yeah, how are you doing?" I haven't heard from you in five weeks. Yeah. You know, I mean how, like I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of Christians kind of griping about, you know, kind of the lack of the lack of connection in the church. But, but the thing is like, um, I, um, the angst inside of me is, is this angst of, um, we've delegated, we've delegated, the responsibility of the priesthood of all believers to worship leaders, to professional pastors, to these people. And because we've done this, when we find ourselves in a pandemic and we're asking ourselves, how do we be the church? We don't know how to perform the duties of discipleship, mission, church without kind of these professional officials. And the fact of the matter is, um, to a certain, to a certain degree, I hate to say this, but my profession as a worship pastor, as kind of like an expert, as a specialist, you know, in worship, in one sense is unnecessary. <laughs> in this, in the sense that um, God created us all for worship, He created us all for a community, and that there doesn't need to be an expert specialist like me, kind of like telling you, you know, or leading you through, you know, what how you ought to convene with God. But the but the fact of the matter is. We are very spiritually underformed. And so the reason that I find my job to be important Absolutely. is that I recognize that people in the church, they spend their time watching Netflix, uh, engaging in relationships that are destructive to them all throughout the week. And so, you know, I, I often make the case for the hour. I'm like, you know, if, if all that we have is an hour, I pray that we at the least meet with Jesus for that hour, sure. you know, um, but this this conversation isn't about me as much as it's about the coronavirus and the church in America right now. And so 
I think that a lot of I think that a lot of people are asking the question, you know, what does it mean to be to be the church? You said something about how people in different parts of the world uh, don't have the luxury that we have. I think about some of the missionaries that we sponsor. So that's a part of the Church of the Nazarenes thing is that we, you know, support missionaries. One of our missionaries has a um, that we were su- supporting over the last couple of years was a missionary in um, a Middle Eastern country where he was, he and his family were the only Christian family in a particular town. And um, that was a very difficult assignment and experience for them, to say the least. You know, and they experienced incredible uh, discrimination and hardship. But for them, Christianity was primarily about their witness in the world. That's what Christianity was. It was about their witness in the world. And it's amazing to me how... We go through this pandemic where we're having this crisis of church in North America where we're not – and the crisis of church is the fact that we're not gathering for worship, right? Right. And then immediately following it is this this whole – the internet wars of the death of G- George Floyd. And I'm not convinced that the church knows how to represent Christ well online by what I'm seeing, right? I think the two are very connected, like that are – our understanding of what it means to be the people of God, our self-understanding, who we've kind of formed ourselves to be because we've relied so heavily on worship to be the primary spiritually forming service that the church provides, that we have, it was like it was like somebody started to, I don't know, take off the Band-Aid with the pandemic, you know, to like, to say, oh, it seems like there's a problem here because when we can't meet, we don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden it just got completely ripped off, <laughs> you know, in, in our own church. I mean, people are fighting with each other online yeah. about views yeah. of whatever, whatever you want your hashtag to be that day. Black Lives Matter. Um, Face masks. All this stuff, all this stuff, all this stuff. But I think what's interesting, and you were, we were talking about earlier, and I think it's so much a violent piece in the questions that I, that I feel like I'm trying to get at, not, not to puff me up, but it just it makes me ask it even more is I think that what this coronavirus has highlighted is how people are isolated. And I think that it's been ramped up or amped up or taken to the next level with this coronavirus. But I think it has always been a problem. And, and so how do we as a church, if that's an issue, and I think with even with people who are dealing with um, mental um disorders is that I don't, I don't, illness I'm, yeah yeah disorder. illness i don't want to be politically i don't want to offend anybody but yeah. I, I think that i think that that was always an issue and and once again we in the church have not always done a great job of talking about those things and addressing those things and trying to engage those things and so i think what's happened in the coronavirus is that's been heightened to such a level because of the coronavirus, you know what I'm saying? But I think it's always been there on some level that people feel lonely and isolated and this is taken to the next level. So how do we as a church, if that's where people are, how do we engage that? How do we help people have community outside of a Sunday morning for one hour, which once again, I think it's important, but how do we engage that? Because I think it's come to the surface at an even higher level and you were talking about some people that you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and our elderly people in nursing homes and how do we 
learn from this and say, man, this is an issue, but it isn't fixed, I don't think, by an hour on a Sunday morning. So how do we engage this to make people feel like they're a part of our community and feel like they have hope and feel like they have something to live for and, and something that gives them value and meaning and purpose? So the Western, the Western mind... I'm going, I'm going to be agreeing with what you're saying. I'm taking the conversation like, for the listener, I'm, we're not changing subjects. We're staying on this subject. But just a, a quick aside to get back to it. The, the, Western, the Western mind is rooted, or the Western imagination is very much informed by empiricism. Um, em, empirical evidence is what science, scientific discovery gives us. It's what you can feel. It's what you can touch. It's what you can quantify. It's data. That's empirical, okay? That's empiricism. And we have, we really believe that, that empirical material data is, is, is the truth. And that's what shapes the world. So, as, so the coronavirus epidemic is shaped by the, the decisions that people are making politically, just, um, not just politically, socially. The, the, the decisions that people are, that we're making are based on, are rooted in empirical data. Sure. Like, I'm not trying to start controversy, but it probably is good to just put the cards on the table. There actually is a virus called COVID-19, you know, and, and so, the, and, and really there are different people at different levels studying in different ways are all trying to figure out how to keep people from getting this disease, COVID-19. Okay. Especially how do we make sure our health system isn't overrun by yes, people who have it. That, that's I think right. that's the biggest piece that we, isn't talked about. A whole, whole lot. It's not. Um, so, so we're we're saying the most important thing in many situations is not to is to help people not contract COVID nineteen. Right. For me, I don't spend much of my time thinking empirically. I spend my time thinking kind of theologically. I spend a lot of my time in the Bible. And this is honestly why a lot of people have a hard time with me personally. And they don't like having conversations because they feel like I live in a, I don't know, like an alternative reality in some senses. Sure. Um, because I'm often, like you said, asking asking questions, you know, that are that are more theologically minded than empirically minded. Sure. So as people are, as people are, um, worried about the spread of the disease in nursing homes as it has spread. What we're doing to people in nursing homes is we're closing them off from contact with their family. Yep. Um, and so many, many people in nursing homes now are asking the question, what's the point of living? And what we're not talking about is how despair might be contributing to deaths just as much as a virus might be contributing to deaths in nursing homes. It's just not something that we're talking about right now. Sure. Another thing, I'm a musician. I'm a live musician. Choral, choral um, associations all over the country have said we're not going to be get together, getting together to sing. The, America may be void of live choral music for the next six months or something. Mm -hmm. In my theological opinion, that is... To say tragedy is an understatement. Sure. I believe that music is the language of God, mm -hmm. that God, that God in creation was speaking, singing creation, that it's, it's the language of things. I believe that music, music is medicinal, that it has, 
that it has um, supernatural healing properties. Now, I realize you may be asking yourself the question, Jonathan, like, you do realize like that's not a scientific claim, right? Like that's not an empirical claim. Yes, I write. That's what I'm saying to you. Like this is why people think that I'm crazy sometimes because I recognize that. <laughs> like you, I, you can't empirically, you cannot empirically prove any of the things that I'm saying right now. But but we've been focusing so much on people not getting the disease that I wonder how much we are contributing to the to the despair in our society. And I'm not. I also make some people nervous. I've been asking questions with different people that I've been talking to. And when I ask these questions, sometimes people say to me like something to the effect of like, well, you think that it, the disease is just not a big deal and that we should all just get together and just like live life as normal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying all the conversations that decisions that are affecting my life are made on are based, are rooted solely in empirical questions, right. not in theological questions. I have done one funeral in the COVID-19 crisis. And it was for a man who drank himself to death. And although he didn't contract the disease in his body, technically, he wasn't tagged as a COVID-19 death in that sense. The despair of losing his job and the isolation of being away from his family that he, from which he was already relatively estranged led him to um, live in a particular way that resulted in his death. In my opinion, that's a casualty of the of the pandemic. And those are the casualties. Those are the numbers that we're not putting in. Sure. You know, that aren't fitting kind of the meta-narrative of um, someone who would just want to talk about empirical data of COVID-19. Okay, so how does this affect how does this affect affect the church? So one of the things that I think about kind of in the question of how do we be the church in the pandemic is what are the what are the theological things Re, uh, realities, maybe not the best vocabulary word here. Uh, Ramifications. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of of COVID nineteen for your church, I think is kind of the question that I would would kind of ask. Like, what has what are the what are the things that you're that you're recognizing? Like, are are all of our people have they just completely given up on on faith? Practically, in the sense that they're just spending all of their time watching Netflix and binging food or you know substances or whatever, um, and giving up on kind of like like Hebrews calls us calls us says don't give up on meeting together, right? Um, because Hebrews understands that the the role of the church is to spur one another on right. toward love and good deeds, right. and um. How is how has the question that I would ask the, the church is, you know, how has how has this pandemic um maybe caused you to spur one another on toward love and good deeds? Or how has it maybe inhibited, pro- prohibited you from doing that thing which the church has been called to do? Um I'm just asking questions, Jeremy. I don't know. It's great questions, me. and I don't know that that I have answers other than to say, I think what this has caused us to do is to, to really ask what, what does it mean to be the church? I think. And cause like you said, it's like a bandaid being ripped off all the things that we normally did that qualified us as this is what, Pauline Nazarene does, or this is what Lima community does. This is what makes us us. 
when all that's taken away, um, I think you have to ask those questions. How do, are those things really, really helping us be more like Jesus? Are they formational? Are they helping us um, grow? So like I said, it's, it's just, I think it's just caused a lot of people to, to really say, what are we doing? Or at least me, maybe not. Maybe other people are like, we just need to get back to life as normal. And I don't think life's ever, it's not going to be like it was before. I don't, I don't know that it can be. Um, I, th- I think that when I hear people say that phrase, what that phrase is actually saying is, the way that I was living my life was just fine. And I don't want to change anything about the way that I was living my life. And yet how many people have said, I wish I could spend this much time with my family. <laughs> it's like, you can, you yeah. just choose not to. That's exactly right. When there's all these other options, the, the, the choice has always been there. Nobody makes you do all of the things. Now, obviously you got to work, so I'm not, but taking that away, but all of the other extracurricular things. Jeremy, I think even the work thing though, Jeremy, I mean, no one's making you work 55 hours a week to have the nicest house on the block that you only sleep in. So I think it's, I mean, there is even in the working, I think like, it's not just one or the other. That's the problem for me in like, it's sad to me that you have to clarify that. It's sad to me that you have to say, hey guys, I'm not saying don't work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because like we're so polarized right now. Right. That there is no room for the gray. The gray is gone. You know, you're left or right. You're black or white. You're, you're, you're a worker or you're a welfare junkie or something like this. I mean, like, seriously, I mean, there, there's just no, there's no gray. And like, could has has not the pandemic taught us that like life like the life happens in the gray in the unknown sure but i guess that would be my biggest fear is that when things start to as they already already are opening up again that we would forget the lessons that we learned yeah and that we would just go back to the rat race yeah cuz like i said nobody makes us do all those things, but it's hard sometimes as a family to sit down and say, we're not doing all of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? We're going to pick and we're going to choose and we're going to, um, we're we're just not going to let our life get back to that form of living. And so I don't know. I, I, I think that it will get back to that. Unfortunately, you know what I'm saying? And, And some of the things we've learned, but my hope is, is that we will have learned that we can still be the church in the midst of a pandemic, when we can't all be together under the same roof to sing and worship, we can still be the church. And so how do we live that out when we get on the other side? We can, we love it when we can be with our kids and we can do things and we have time to make those, to make those things happen. Did we learn that when we get on the other side of this, that we make choices to still allow those times and those instances to happen. So you say we can still be the church. The fact of the matter is when, when the governor says that, you know, I would suggest you only gather with 10 or less people. What, what is being suggested is that you only have personal intimate interactions. And I'm not convinced in the church that we are interested in having personal intimate interactions. And when you say, I just want to clarify for the listener, when Jeremy says be the church, Jeremy's talking about personal intimate interactions getting together with people for spiritual formation purposes, which I think the worship service 
Yeah, that's what it. I mean, that's that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. It, 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 well, it should be. It's, <laughs> it's honestly probably not always that. Sure, you know, but it. But even if that can't happen, we've always been able to meet with ten or fewer people, socially distanced or whatever. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, so so I to me it's not an either or. I think we have to learn how to do the both and better than we did before. One of the things that I'm embarrassed about, and you know, and what this pandemic has brought out as me pastorally, is that I've consciously called on called on widows. You know, I used to call on them when I would miss them when I would miss them at choir practice or something like this, right? Sure. And if they were there, if they were part of the assembly, I thought to myself, you know, pat on the back, you know, or like, and I'm not just trying to. Or if the, they were there, the, for, they don't need me to call them because yeah, yeah. they were at church. Yeah, for all, and for all the widows listening to the podcast, I'm not like trying to be a jerk. Like, I, like I'm not trying to just objectify you in that in that way. It's anybody, absolutely. It's the it's the young family. It's like that was my it's, approach to pastoral ministry. Is like so a young family doesn't show up for a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I got to call them, or like you know, like person whoever it is. That's kind of like the approach to my past approach to pastoral ministry. It's like if they don't come to the event for so long, then they all of a sudden they deserve my attention. Well, now in the pandemic, it's like, oh man, there's no event. Oh, do I have to call everybody? And the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> but why don't we practice that yeah, normally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I've got to personally invest. And listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I consider him a pastor and he's not called me. He's never That's, called me. <laughs> I'm proving my point. Like I'm proving my point of like how pathetic of a pastor I am by this confession. Okay. So I just want you to know that I know. Okay. But, but like, that's, you just, but, but that's being like the idea that we can be the church without gathering. It does reverse in many ways the, the kind of cultural pastoral mindset that many of us as pastors have grown accustomed to. That's not necessarily right. You know? And I don't know that it's wrong. Like I That's said, it's right. not an either or. No, thank you. Yeah, you're right. It's a both and. You're right. And I think that we've failed to look holistically at spiritual formation. And maybe that's something that we can do better as we journey forward. If, if that's fair, no, it's fair. And I would also I would throw it back on the on the listener, back on the layperson also. Absolutely. Like like this is a priesthood of all believers. And if you're if you're ticked at your pastor right now because they've not been doing for you what you think they should, you need to realize that that frustration is probably just as rooted in your in your expectations, right. in your pathetic ex- expectations, as it is in your pastor's pathetic lack of action. Like it's both all, of you, are, all it's, it's all pathetic. It's all pathetic. Equal offenders, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and um, man, we have issues in the church. We, we have so many issues and things are not just okay. Right. We should, we should confess that and, ad- and address it. And that's what this pandemic should be bringing to our attention. I think it brought to light things that maybe we didn't want to look at before. Yeah. And it would do, we would do our people a disservice if all our efforts were put into, let's just get back to doing things like we used to do it. Rather than taking a breath and saying, what have we learned about the church and about ourselves? And how do we, how do we ask some questions to help us get at maybe some better answers of what it means to move forward from yeah. this point? Yeah. And help our families move forward from this point um, to ask some good questions. Hard questions, not easy questions. But um, so. Can we talk a little bit about uh, the death of George Floyd and 
the situation with riots and I don't I don't feel the need we're recording this a little late in the game in the sense that it's not like there's been a lot of developments in the nation and stuff so we're not going to give you like kind of like a news overview of the story as we often as we often do if you need yeah and I don't want to offend you but if you don't know what's going on what rock are you (laughs) I mean I'm just yeah if you're on the internet enough to listen to this podcast you probably know what like you probably have read stories you understand you get the download yeah, yeah 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 um Jeremy, what are what are your pastoral concerns about the situation? Um, maybe in your, uh, I don't want you to throw pouting under the bus, and I'm not going to throw lima under the bus because there are we have in our communities we have as diverse of opinions and worldviews as as any other community. So this is kind of a general conversation. I'm not trying to like dodge our immediate pastoral responsibility, but this is kind of a cultural, cultural conversation. Like just pastorally, like as you're looking online at people who are posting on social media, as you're having private conversations and as you're seeing stuff that's going on more national media, like what are you, what are you concerned about? What, what's breaking your heart? What's, um, is there anything good? I mean, just, I, I was going to ask, can I say a positive dude? I think that that would be strange. <laughs> I don't know why uh, after this one, but even just people in my church who slammed Colin Kaepernick and slammed some of the things, some of the things I've seen them post have been, there seems to be more of an awareness now. There's like a turn. There's a turn. There's a shift. And now I totally understand that something could happen tomorrow and the shift would go back to exactly, you know, like the news cycle is so rapidly changing that something somebody could say something and it will it will flip again but i i saw somebody post something and and it just floored me about just even the whole black lives matter black lives matter and and it was just this beautiful explanation from somebody that i would not have expected of saying the reason we say this is important is because until black lives matters we really can't say all life matters and i was just floored um, I saw another guy get on, and you've probably seen it. It wasn't anybody from my church that talked about who was apologizing to Colin Kaepernick and just saying, when you originally did this, I was very critical of you. I was um, very vocal, out, vocally outraged. And he goes, but I need to apologize because maybe if I would have listened to you then, we wouldn't be going through what we're going through now. And so like I said, I feel like there's, for whatever reason – there's been a, and you see all of the police officers and the military people taking a knee at these protests and you see they're marching with the people. And, and I, now it doesn't mean to say that there aren't some other things that are, are negatively happening, you know, happening that are, there aren't great, but I just think for whatever reason, reason this time, there has been this shift in people's minds that caused them to look at this whole situation differently than when they did when Colin Kaepernick took a knee and they did when all of these other things happened. Um, so that, that's a pause. That's, that's something that I think, Whoa, what, what's going on? You know, it's causing me to just say something different. There's something different for whatever reason about this holistically. Yeah, no, I, I not a, not everyone, but holistically, I feel like there's something different. I've not seen some of the particular things that you have were just referencing, but 
But as you're talking, I've also seen similar things of people who have been very dogmatic about the um, kind of like political commitments that they have saying who would, who I've never seen say publicly before anything about racial issues with a compassionate lens saying, you know what, this is, this is wrong, which I would agree with you is, is really just a, is, is a positive thing. Yeah. And I hope that we continue moving that way. Absolutely. One of the, one of the things that has bothered me about the George Floyd murder from the very beginning is what I, what I see is um, a complicit, is complicit bystanders. Mm. So all of us have seen probably at least an image of Derek Chauvin was that his name? The the officer uh, yeah, who who had his who had his knee on George Floyd's neck, right? And this guy, in many ways in America right now, just kind of embodies evil. So all of us are asking the question: um, Can you imagine having your knee on someone else's neck for ten minutes and them, you know, dying? And hearing, so them, here, hearing them call out. I so can't breathe. A lot of us are asking that question. I have a question for you, Jeremy. Right. Can you imagine holding up your phone and filming a man dying under the weight of someone else's knee for 10 minutes? Ethically. Are we okay with that? Like, are we, are we okay with all the people on that scene that are that their response to this is to hold up their phones and listen 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 i i understand that at some point in this in this scene somebody starts to you know move forward or something and the and the and the the case is brought you know i'm going to i'll shoot you or or you know that type that type of thing uh is but in my in my humble distanced opinion that was about all of the effort that was given i'm not throughout throughout the 10 minutes i'm not seeing people try to rush the cops i'm not seeing people like like 10 minutes it's a long time it's yeah. a it's a long long time um i so i was I, I also try to I try not to have too high of an estimation of myself, and I try not to be a uh, um is it what do they call it a Monday morning quarterback or yeah. an armchair quarterback? Yeah, 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 Monday morning. Um, where you where you kind of pick apart you pick so, apart. Oh, I would have done this. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I would have done if if I was. We do that with the disciples all the time. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. If I was Tom Brady, <laughs> it's like you know what you're not. It's Tom Brady. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like if there's anything that you're not, it's definitely not Tom Brady. But um I I don't think I could I could film for ten minutes a murder. And I so we talk you know, we talk about we've been talking a lot about how our kids are educated in these days and how we're bringing up a generation of people um in America right now. What's evident to me in um, 
this whole thing is that we have a generation of people that legitimately think that filming things and posting things equals social activism. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I, I think I'd push back a little bit. Push back. I think there would be probably more death. <laughs> I think, I think what is more disturbing to me is there was three other cops there. Yes. Very good. Yeah. 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 And what are they doing? What in the world are they the doing? The one cop is not letting people help. Help is keeping people at bay. Yep. And so that may be even more disturbing than what were they doing? Watching. And I think they're going to, they, they're going to, be have there i think there'd be repercussions obviously they lost their job i think there's gonna be a little bit more than that they've lost their jobs but like honestly um this guy chauvin he's only been charged with third degree murder which like third degree murder right and a lot of people say what is that for the prosecutors they want to make sure that they can you want to make sure that you're going to be able to have a jury actually hear the truth you know what i'm saying so i don't know what all will happen behind the scenes with that but i just so listen, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, there were people standing around, but if they rush, do we have more than a George Floyd? So and so, I would say, and I would say, I mean, maybe not. I don't so, know. so and I'm also I'm also a Christian. I'm primarily a Christian. Jesus says, "Greater love has no one than this." Sure, they lay down their life for their for their friends, and Jesus spends his entire time like his through his ministry redefining neighbor redefining nuclear family redefining like who is actually my friend sure who's worth laying down my life for sure um if any one of the people that were standing around watching this claimed to be christian they did not respond correctly i'm and that's and that may seem really really strong and like wow jonathan you're being so judgmental so paul says paul says I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people in the church. Sure. And Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. Right. And like the the discerning person makes judgments about all things. This is in the, we don't talk about this stuff because like it's politically incorrect to be decisive. Sure. It's very politically incorrect. I'm, I'm, I'm troubled. I think, I think that the person taking the video is all of us. Oh, absolutely. That's that's I think that's the heart of what I'm what I'm saying. I'm not just saying I'm not just saying that person should be indicted for murder or for complicit complicitness, if that's a word, in in the murder. Although I would say that ought to be considered. Sure. I what I am saying is all of us in America we watch what Derek Chauvin is doing through the screen of a phone that somebody is standing there and we're like, oh, this is a terrible thing. And that's like, I have, I just have issues with that. I, I just, I have, I have this existential angst of, you know, what, to, to actually respond existentially as a Christian in my opinion, is to lay down your life. If we're actually talking about the extreme of murder and life and this type of thing, is like laying down your life. And so nothing that you can do or say online right now, to me, is is doing anything for anybody. 
Which is kind of, I think is kind of the point of the blackout. What was it? Blackout Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like I said, I I hold the cops maybe to a little bit higher standard than the people who are... <laughs> which, is, which is probably the right thing. But I think, like I said, I think there's a whole lot... Did they, were they looking and thinking, there's no way he's going to, like, as it's going on, I think your mind is trying to process what you're seeing. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I'm not saying that they were completely innocent. But like I said, I felt like some of them were trying to get there and that cop was like, no. Yeah. Yeah. That was standing right there. Like, I think some of them did. And furthermore, you don't know that he, to, you don't know he's actually going to die. Exactly right. You don't, you, you don't, don't know that. There's probably some ounce in your brain that's like, he's not. He's not going to sit it worth, there. Is until, it worth me dying? Is it worth me getting shot? Surely he's for, about to put the guy in the back of the car yeah, and go down. Yeah, to, I mean, there's, man. I think there's a whole lot of, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would do. Like I said, the more I, I know my, and learn about myself, I feel like I'm right there with the disciples. I don't know that I would, <laughs> I think I would have run too. You know, like, I just think it's easy that you're right to play Monday morning quarterback, but I know for sure those other three police or four, like they should have done. They should have been like, because they knew the guy that was on top of him. And they probably knew he maybe had some racist thought. You know what I'm saying? Like they they should have for sure said, dude, let's put him in the car and let's let due process do what it's supposed to do. But they didn't. Because yeah. um, they had more of the power than the people who were standing there. Like I said, I... So can we talk about that for a second? Please. So that that right there, they had more of the power. I agree. Systematically, I agree. Sure. The problem for me with all of us getting so enraged about systematic oppression and systematic power is that we, we take the power out of the hands of the person with the cell phone. Sure. And we, we put the emphasis on these are the people in the, with the power. This is where the reform needs to happen. It doesn't need to happen with me. And I'm just disturbed. I, again, I don't. Here's a question. Please. Video's not taken. Yep. What happens? Um, they don't have a video showing what this guy did. It's kind of like the um, Ahmaud Arbery. No video of this guy getting shot by these two guys in Georgia. It just, nothing happens. Yeah, so I mean, so I think I've, so I've often, I've wondered if the reason Derek Chauvin didn't move is because he didn't, is he didn't want, he, knowing that he was on camera, he didn't want to do anything else. Like, I'm not, I'm not justifying what he did. I'm not justifying what he did. Like, I'm, I'm not, a, like, he, it, he, mur he cold blood murdered this guy. Right. I just, I do, I do wonder how much the video, I wonder how much the video, like the videoing of it, how that affected the situation, not in George Floyd's favor. I wonder that. And I, the problem again, and you just said it. The problem with the Monday morning quarterback is there is no other, there's no way to play out the other scenarios. Right. We all are just speculating. Yeah. But I don't know. Because I think a lot of times with Monday morning quarterback, we think that it happened in a vacuum. Yes. But what were the other... Yes. And your point is, your point is, if there's not, a, if there's not that great high def video from that angle, then all of this 
Potentially. All, all of this, you know, outcry doesn't have like the face. We don't have the meme of George Floyd. We don't have all of these different, we don't have all of these different images. The guy could still be a police officer. Yes. On the police force. Yes. But. Maybe. But also, but also if we don't have that video, we also like, there's so much hatred going back and forth. Yeah. About the video right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like. That's not good. Right. I'm not talking about this, the social change that I hope is happening because of it. There's positives to it. Sure. But there's also negatives to it. Sure. And like, I do, again, I, maybe, I, maybe to my fault, I use this out. This, I, I, don't, I don't have to deal with empiricism. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I am a theologian. You know, so maybe I use that as an out too often, but like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily interested in quantifying what was what was like what would be the better or worse scenario as much as asking the question like the responsible theological question like how complicit is the person with the cell phone right and how much am i that person Hmm. because if it can be the fault of the people with more power then just that phrase saying that they have more power denies the fact that i have power to a degree sure and maybe i should have qualify in the situation those cops had more they have guns play. Exactly they have guns right. i mean they have but holistically yes. we yes it, have for so me like, yeah for me to say that for me to ignore the fact that they have more power is kind of like is just straight ignorance and i'm not trying to do that and kind of trying to make a a turn. Keep going. I, I keep interrupting. No, you. I'm just saying in that moment, those three cops could have, was there three or four other cops? I don't even know. The other cops. Um, there are more than could two. Could have looked at their friend and been like, yeah. dude. And whereas somebody else coming in are going to have to deal with those other cops. And No, that's right. And really kind of interesting. Um, we have this law of... Um, isn't it like illegal to assault a police officer? Isn't that right? Like that's, is that a felony? I don't know what. But I think it's, I think that it's actually a. It could be. A legality. You know, you don't want to get caught. And like I said, you make a move. That guy now has the, he can say, I was being, I'm defending myself. Yep. Right, (laughs) right, 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 right. Like I said, so I just think there's so many. Factors. There's so many factors that, but all in all, I feel like more people have looked at that video and said Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians. I don't know that anybody can look at that and say, well, that was all right. For the most part, I feel like there has been this unification of what that guy did was wrong. Um, and like I said, just the the movement, I think it has captured almost that Dr. King we need to capture their hearts because as soon as we yeah. can get their hearts, we can, we will change. They will change when they, when we can show them we are actually people and we can capture their hearts, then we'll get the laws, but it'll be a double win because we'll also get the person along with the law. And, and I think his whole movement was more, more than just changing the laws. I think he wanted to do that, but he knew he's going to have to capture the heart of the, the nation and the people because until that happened, even if the laws were changed, there was still going to be hatred and discrimination and and things that would be negative 
And the only way to change that is for the transformation of the heart. Yeah. Um, do you, do you feel like, do you feel like good is coming of this? You, you already said, you already named one good. You know, I, maybe I want to ask a different question. What, where do you where do you feel like this is heading for us? Are we gonna are we gonna grow closer together, or is this just are we on a are we on a spiral downhill till November? Like, is this will this always be politically hijacked? These things that are going on, or like, will the church kind of disregard political inclinations and start regathering and? regaining in theological imagination um i think it depends on what story people true choose to believe what story is going to form them yeah. what story is going to shape them and if it's the media story and then unfortunately i'm not sure the church church's voice is loud enough to speak. I think we have to, but if, if people really want to be formed and shaped and transformed to the image of who Jesus was, then this could be a moment. I really think it could be. And But once again, it kind of just goes back to the whole choice thing. Are people going to choose to to listen more, to, um, to really allow the story of the cross and the empty tomb to be the thing that forms them and shapes them. And once again, we're both theologians. So that's, that's my hope. That's, that's what I hope. And, um, and if we can do that and if we can as pastors help our people to keep seeing that story and to keep seeing that and hearing that. Um, but there's a big piece of me that thinks the road to November is going to be pretty messy for, for our country and for, um, and that's my pessimistic side. I, I try to lean more to the hopeful side, but just with all the things that have happened, it's hard for me to to look at it and say, "Oh yeah, this is this is what it's going to be." But my hope is the church can be that different voice, that different um, perspective on how we view things and how we view the world and how we view each other, and and I believe God can do it. But people, people have been um, getting in God's way for quite some time. My hope is, is that we might join him. We might join him in what he's doing. So. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 